Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. To catch everybody up, since for me, it's been a long time. But for the rest of you, it's just been a week, which is fun, because pod time is weird time. I think it's almost been about a month since we've actually recorded anything. Yeah, it's so fun. We're back at the studio. I left the coffee running, unfortunately. So there was a small fire in the CGB headquarters, but it's all right. So some life updates for both of the brothers. Zachary moved. I did. I did. I moved to a different town or city. It is a city, according to according to Wikipedia. Oh, fancy. And their website. Still, uh, still a close distance to uh, where our office is located, our fair city. And I got married. Yes, you did. And went on a honeymoon in the sunny state of California. Fun fact, I was gone for a while and uh, we were not able to record, but we still were able to get episodes to you guys. Hopefully now that Seth is not on honeymoon and that I have moved, our content is going to get back to, I don't know, I don't think it lost any quality, but maybe we'll try to be a little more active online. That's true. I think that's the promise that we've been put together. We'll we'll also be getting closer, now that we're on this half of the the wedding, uh, we'll be getting closer to working on our secret project that everyone should be excited about. Yes, that's right. And we also do, um, I guess we can kind of say that we will be at a convention, prospectively, unless any anything changes between now and when the convention is in November, but it's a retro world expo in Hartford, Connecticut. That's right. I will be attending not as guests, but as convention goers, but we'll be repping our merch. So if you listen to our podcast and you, for some reason are at that convention and you see people who are wearing our merchandise, it is a hundred percent going to be us. So come and say hi. (laughs) Yeah. We generally look like our pictures, Uh, but yes, we will be at retro world expo unless anything happens between now and when it is which is in november which the world is constantly changing so uh well we'll probably also talk about retro world expo we'll probably do what we did with pax where we'll do an episode before kind of talking about what we're excited about seeing and then we'll do a post-mortem an episode about what we saw and yeah in between there'll probably be an episode where it'll be about something entirely different because that's what yeah, happens probably on the day of because the day um, of yeah the, because it is a weekend so when we release an episode on the weekend of Ooh. We'll be world. editing in the we'll hotel probably, room. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun, fun night. It is also during the time of November, we'll be attempting to do an extra live stream, which is a 24-hour live stream on our Twitch channel, which is Classic Gaming Brothers. I feel like we're doing a lot of housekeeping in the beginning of this episode, but it needs to be done. We are going to attempt to do a 24-hour live stream sometime in November. It would normally be done in the first weekend of November, but as we just announced, we will be at Retro World Expo. We are going to be staying close to to the convention hall but being up for 24 hours and going to a convention i don't know if i could do and i also feel like we would probably miss a lot of the second day which we paid for so i want to go see and like zach said if you're listening to this episode and you are planning on attending retro world expo uh shoot us an email maybe we can catch up either on the show floor or grab a drink at the bar if you are as long as you're not an axe murderer or under the age of 21 well, yes, that would drinking. also be, that would, yeah. I would prefer not to drink with an axe murderer, unless, you know. Or a they, child. Not, or a child. <laughs> or an axe murdering child. Anyway, let's get into this episode and let's talk a bit about the games that we've been recently playing, Seth. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I have recently been playing uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for the PC, which came out in 2001. Now, I talked about this game before, so I'm not going to go too into depth, but when I talked about it, it was during our, is it really 
really that bad segment, which we did about a year ago, and we haven't done since. <laughs> so, oh, maybe we should do a is the is it really that bad segment? Is it really that bad? If you go back in time and listen to the episodes that have, is it really that bad? Which, to be honest, I think is in the forties. Yeah, it's around the forties because we did one with Damien, and he was on episode forty-five. So, if you listen to some of those forties episodes, let us know if you like the segment. We'll bring it back. If we don't get any response, we'll assume you don't like it. <laughs> so um, I've been replaying Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone uh, or Philosopher's Stone if you're our UK slash everywhere else in the world listeners. So this was a PC game made by No Wonder. All the different versions of the game, by the way, the PC, the PlayStation, the Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Advance, they're all made by different companies. But No Wonder was known for making the PC versions of the games. And I did not know that the PC version was made in the Unreal Engine, which is wild to me. Yeah. Uh, it does not feel like an Unreal game uh, at all. Isn't it kind of slow? <laughs> it's very slow and in third person. And yeah, like you can't stray for anything. You can in the second game, which I guess makes sense because they probably just updated whatever they were doing and fixed the engine up a bit. It was supposed to be an adaptation of the movie, but I think at the time the game was in development, the movie had not come out yet and was also in development. So the, the game had to borrow a lot from the books and design documents. So there are some very similar things to the movie and some very different things to the movie um so similar is that like hogwarts and some of the characters look like the actors different though is that like all the robes are color coordinated which is not a thing in the movies until a lot later like by the third movie they started doing that so the robes in the game the actual like the outer robes color coded they're black robes that have red yellow green and uh, blue fringes which is not how it is in the movie the first and second movie they are wearing all black robes well yeah that's according to the book the book is like please go buy this like crappy generic black robe by some lady who's on the take because she she makes all the robes for all the Hogwarts students. Oh, like Ollivander, who makes all the wands for everyone in England. I guess I guess when your like population of wizards is like 100. <laughs> but yeah, the game loosely follows the plot of the book and the movie. You know, Harry goes to Hogwarts for the first time. The philosopher slash sorcerer Stone is also at Hogwarts. Quirrell's there. He's bad. Everyone blames Snape. Snape turns out not to be so bad. He's just an ass. My favorite thing is the the game has some spells that, first of all, a couple of spells are not in the books, um, like Flipendo, which is used to push things back. Um, but also, I think a spell that you learn is Incendio, which is used to light things on fire. But in this, it's just used to wilt plants. Oh. Uh, so that's fun. Well, I mean... I. I, I guess lighting a plant on fire would wilt it. How, why would that? I feel like, all right, so first of all, brand new student to Hogwarts, first year, right? And the thing you're going to teach me is how to wilt plants? Like, how? what What use does that have? Why Why don't I have, like, cultivate plants? Well, or... surprisingly useful when you have to go through the very end of the game and have to fight the Devil Snare. So every, every spell you learn does come into play in the final part of the game. So it's like the teachers had the foreknowledge to teach Harry exactly what he needed to know. Didn't say it's not a really good game right it's not a very good game now why are you playing it the reason why i'm playing it is one it's a bad game but it's a nostalgic game for me so it gives me kind of a sense of comfort it's like playing a bad sonic game also the music is amazing uh the music i would say is arguably 
sometimes better than the movie music. Ooh. The music is done by a guy named Jeremy Soule, who did the music for a majority of the games, and it is fantastic. It's just this nice, whimsical fantasy music that like doesn't it doesn't try to be anything better than it is, but it's still really good. Nice. So what I've been recently been playing something entirely different. I yes, have been playing so. a game called Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. This is a, a computer role-playing game that's set in the Pathfinder world. This game is done by Alcat Games and was released actually pretty recently back in September 2nd of this year. 2021. It is the second Pathfinder game that Alcat Games has worked on, the first being Pathfinder Kingmaker. They both have different stories, so you could play Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous without playing Pathfinder Kingmaker, and it would make sense to you. I would actually recommend it at this point in time. It's a better game. So they took a lot of the feedback that they received with Kingmaker and they changed Pathfinder uh, Wrath of the Righteous up a little bit. So it has been better received. But it's the standard kind of affair of going on a journey to fight a bunch of demons. Through it, uh, you get to explore good and bad and there are these things called mythic paths where you become like you get mythic levels in like specific things so you can like go down a mythic path of being like an angel and then you get like angel powers and you level that up at the same time you level up your main character and there are a lot of classes in this game so there's i don't even know 30 maybe more i don't know there's a lot of classes because there's like probably 12 to 14 main classes and then each main class has like five subclasses so like my current character is a guy named Vascav I don't know why his name is Vascav but it's Vascav and he is a inquisitor but his subclass is sacred hunter what he does is he shoots people with his bow and arrow but he also has a pet and his pet is a mastodon so his mastodon pet tramples things he'll eventually be able to ride his mastodon into combat his mastodon is named mast because a mast is a large thing on a ship he's also a large elephant well i guess he's a large mastodon which is not an elephant so yeah it's been a lot of fun i've played a few hours of it it's one of those games we play a lot of hours of it to really get to understand it so i've got plenty of hours left to go in it but yeah that's pathfinder wrath of the righteous nice well today we are talking about a game that is different than all of the games that we've talked about so far it's different than a lot of things because today we are talking about counter-strike yeah counter-terrorist win <laughs> big fan of counter-strike i was thinking about counter-strike specifically so this episode specifically is going to be about counter-strike version 1.6 and the lead up into version 1.6 so we're going to talk about source go and all those other stuff at the end but um we're primarily going to be talking about the development of counter-strike 1.6 which is what uh, i grew up playing and was a lot of fun i'll start off with some memories of nostalgia for me one of my best memories of counter-strike beyond staying up to ungodly hours playing counter-strike with uh one of my friends that i i grew up with he ran a server so we used to do whatever we wanted to in our counter-strike server and sometimes would piss people off but we ran it so we would just kick them one of the best memories memories though I had of Counter-Strike was going to a digital cafe and there was this digital cafe in our hometown that we grew up in and I only went there once but it was so cool so you sit down and you go to like a computer and on it they had Steam installed but it was like the cafe version of Steam which if you didn't know there's a, a retail version of Steam or was I don't know if they still offer this but there was like a retailer version of Steam that gave you access to like a pile of video games 
games like i think like a hundred maybe or something like that it's especially at the time it felt like a lot of video games so this was the first time i interacted with this like cafe version and kind of like had a lot of video games available to play and i remember i played a little bit of jedi academy and then we were going to play a counter-strike game so we're we all booted up into i think it was 1.6 but academy was out i don't even remember but i just remember we i think we were playing back anyway we were booting up counter-strike and we we played some counter-strike over a land it was a lot of fun there was you know like me and my friends teamed up and we fought some randos who were in the cafe as well and it was cool playing in a game against somebody who was sitting maybe like a couple seats away from you and you didn't know them i i haven't played a lot of counter-strike myself I've watched a lot of Counter-Strike. There was a period of time in late college and when I got my first apartment that I liked watching esports primarily because they're almost always on. If you want to watch something, you can usually find someone playing esports, like some repeat of a tournament or something like that, or an ongoing tournament just in another part of the world that happens to be live when you're awake at like nine in the morning. But uh, there was a couple of Counter-Strike tournaments that I watched, certain bouts and stuff like that. And I always liked watching Counter-Strike versus other esports because counter-strike is fast right. so fast. Um, especially when you're watching like a really good team um, like phonetic i think was a team that i was watching at the time and they would do these bouts in like 30 seconds <laughs> like yeah. flat but what was it the um the glock there was a gl- there was a there was a gun you could buy as one of your first guns that you could purchase because you know the i mean just for context of the game uh you would play multiple rounds and the better you did the more money you got and the more stuff you could buy at the beginning of the round so you always bought your armor and you bought your stuff and one of the early guns that you could get before you earned a lot of money was this glock and i remember it had like a burst fire that there was a time where i was playing and i just rolled through the enemy's like base and i killed i think three or four people in a row before they took me down but i was just like bop 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 with the glock but it was just beautiful you're like the cowboy bebop theme just there you're like bop 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 to to talk about counter-strike uh, and to talk about the history of counter-strike it's important to remember that it is tied to another game and that game is half-life because counter-strike is a mod or a modification of half-life we talked about half-life already we actually did a deep dive into the history of half-life one back in our fourth episode episode yeah. four which we released right after christmas of 2019 yeah. so i would forgive all of you if you've never listened to that episode but if you do want to go back and listen to it you'll learn a bit more about half-life so anyway half-life um, for those who don't know about it who didn't listen to our episode and have never heard of it is a first-person shooter uh, kind of a horror sci-fi first person shooter uh, has horror elements for sure but it's primarily more of a, just like a science fiction action game um, and it was developed by a company called Valve Valve is the company that owns Steam which is the pretty much quintessential way to purchase video games in 2021 uh, I mean there are other ways to do so there are other stores out there but no one has the market like Steam does specifically Valve does with Steam uh, Steam is kind of the, the way to buy games so Valve had some ideas about their own products and really believed that their products should be open sourced. Um, And this was a design idea that not only Valve had, but a lot of companies that were founded by people who loved video games also had. And now open source is when you have a product that the source code, which is the backbone to that product, often a video game, is available to the consumers to access either freely 
monthly or via a license that you could purchase or rent for a low price. You usually can access it through SDKs, which are software development kits. Exactly. Part of the reasoning behind the the fact that they wanted it to be open source was because Half-Life actually started life as a modification itself. In the very early days, Half-Life was built in the Quake engine, and they modified and iterated on the Quake engine to eventually come up with their own engine that they called Gold Source, um, spelled G-O-L-D-S-R-C, but pronounced Gold Source. This engine would then become the backbone to a variety of Half-Life mods, including Team Fortress Classic, Sven Co-op, Ricochet, and of course, Counter-Strike. The mod of Counter-Strike itself came about because of the creator, Min Lee, who also goes by Gooseman, wanted to do some game development at college so that he could essentially pad his resume when he went out into the world. He could say, hey, look at this game that I developed. Now, Min Lee was pretty used to the Quake engine, but for his swan song of his university and for his senior year, he wanted to use the new gold source that was promised to be available by Valve. Now, while he was waiting, uh, he modeled out the characters that would be in the game so then when gold source was available, he was able to quickly get everything going and get Beta 1 available, which is Beta 1 of Counter-Strike. Now, to give you a little background on Min Lee before we move on, he had always been into video games and really loved both video games specifically computer video games, and he really loved 3D modeling, which he was very skilled at. While attending college, he actually released two Quake mods of his own, one called Navy Seals in 1997, and another mod called the A-Team's Action Quake 2 in 1998. The A-Team Action Quake 2 had its own website, and on those websites are forums. And this guy named Jess Cliff, but Cliff is spelled with an E, was volunteering as the community liaison for A-Team's Action Quake 2's website and heard about Min Lee's idea to make a Counter-Strike game and said, hey, let's do it. I'll help you. So Jess and uh, Min got together and started working on the Counter-Strike beta. Now, the idea of Counter-Strike came from Min Lee's enjoyment of games like Rainbow Six and like Spec Ops. And he was also very interested in the military and liked guns. Uh, so fighting terrorists was kind of a natural premise that he fell into. Now, while, while Min worked on getting the beta done, uh, Jess took over the game's website and managed the community of fans. So here's the thing with Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike uses 3D models and they navigate a map. And in order to make sure that this game isn't stale, you need new maps. Maps are like the key to these early first-person shooter games because if you don't release a new map pack, then stuff's gonna get stale. Jess, while knowing all the fans and being a member of the community, he knew people in the community who could help create maps for the game. So he worked with Jess and the community to really help build Counter-Strike by using the community as an asset to create levels for the game, all while 
uh, Min Lee worked on making sure the game actually was working okay. So they worked together and released beta after beta for Critique, starting in June of 1999. At first, there weren't many players, but they continued to grow exponentially, and by the fifth beta, even Valve was paying attention. Valve sent Robin Walker to meet with Min Lee to get an idea of where his head was at and just kind of explore the ideas of what exactly Min Lee was looking to do with this game. And Robin Walker was the guy who created Team Fortress. So a modder becoming an employee of Valve, Robin was kind of like the poster child of that. After that meeting, Valve approached both Min Lee and Jess Cliff with job offers and offered to buy out Counter-Strike entirely. In September of 2000, Valve released the first non-beta version of Counter-Strike. When they released the first version of Counter-Strike, the community started to become quite the force themselves. Uh, The community was doing all these different mods and providing all this feedback and really the developers were having difficulty keeping up to the demands that the community was asking. In fact, by version 1.3, if there was even a rumor about a change coming to the game, the community would immediately fight back. Uh, they, They did not want changes to come in, even if they were just rumors of changes that they did not agree with. So after 1.6 was released, Valve and the team stepped back. And with the developers stepping back, the community gained control. And really, in Counter-Strike, there isn't a leveling system. So because of that, everyone got a fresh start. And by that point, everyone was desperate to be the best at the game. This desperation turned to cheating, uh, as desperation sometimes does, including some very famous cheats, such as wall hacks, um, seeing through walls, or aimbots are another popular cheat, or shooting through walls is another popular cheat. Valve did want to kind of step in and kind of curve this rampant cheating. So they rolled out what was called the Valve Anti-Cheat, or VAC. Servers could enable VAC protection, and if anyone was determined to be cheating, they could risk their whole account to be permanently banned from any VAC-protected servers. So if you enabled VAC on your server, and someone cheated on your server, and the computer kicked them and banned them, they would not be able to join any server that was VAC-protected. Not just any server that you hosted, any VAC-protected server. Most servers were VAC-secured. And at first, VAC could be a bit aggressive. Um, It was AI. It was not a person monitoring these people. So sometimes it would just instantly ban people. And sometimes the cheaters would end up having to wait two years before they can even get unbanned for something maybe even minor. So they switched it up after a little while. So what they ended up doing was instead of banning immediately once hacks were detected... They took note that you were hacking and delay banned you. And what that did was that allowed hacks to proliferate throughout all the cheating community and they would be able to ban a specific hack. They would be able to kind of catch more people in the net, as it were. On top of the VAC-secured servers, players could also have uh, votes to kick players or ban them from uh, specific servers. That would require an admin or um, a bot that would kind of play into it. There was a lot of mods for Counter-Strike. Well, like, these games live and die by their communities. Now, we can't talk about Counter-Strike without talking about a, a really important map. And that map is dust. Everyone who has played Counter-Strike has 
probably played some iteration of Dust or Dust 2. Both are set in a desert, Middle Eastern kind of locale, and every single version of Counter-Strike has some version of Dust. It was created, actually, by a 16-year-old guy named Dave Johnston. He first designed a map called Retirement Home, and Jess and Min saw Retirement Home and actually approached Dave and was like, hey, do you mind designing a new map for our fourth beta, which would have been before the Valve purchase? He was obsessed with Team Fortress, and he drew heavy inspiration from that game, which if you look at any screenshots from Team Fortress, it is set in the desert. And he created Dust by using the Counter-Strike Urban Texture Set and some assistance from this other guy, Chris Ashton, who was a texture artist, helped him out with creating it. And it ended up being really popular uh, to the point where Min and Jess maintained a blog and they made a blog post about Dust with some screenshots and people were just commenting about wanting to play Dust because they put like screenshots of other maps too. And they're just like, nah, just port Dust. And Dave ended up actually getting a check from Jess and Min for his creation since Dust became kind of a, a, a vital map to the game. And apparently, according to Dave, his mom was shocked by the amount of money because she thought it was going to be five pounds. According to Dave, it was not a huge check, but it was a good enough check for a 16-year-old. Dave now works for a company called Fireteam as a service developer, and he attributes his job and career success to creating Dust and the success of that map. Because if anyone who's played Counter-Strike, you could just say, do you like to play in the Dust map? And everyone will say, yes, I love Dust. It's a great map. Speaking of Counter-Strike, speaking of the gameplay of Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike is an objective-based multiplayer first-person shooter. Which is a lot of words I just said. In the game, there are two teams, the terrorists and the counter-terrorists. You play on either team. You go against each other in various multiplayer game modes. This could be securing a location, defusing a bomb, guarding hostages, and so on. After you win a round, the victorious team gains a chunk of money that they can then use in-game to buy more weapons and other items, uh, like flashbang grenades and stuff. The losing team will also win money, but not as much. So they might not be able to afford the nice fancy guns that your team now can afford. If you kill teammates or perform other actions that are deemed uncooperative, you may gain a penalty against you and might actually gain even less money than you would even if you win. In the original Counter-Strike, which is the one that we've been talking about this entire time, so I don't need to preface that, there are three primary game modes, which are map-based. Whatever game mode you wanted to play, you had to play in a specific map. Like Dust is a bomb defusal map. And that's the first game mode, bomb defusal. Then there's hostage rescue and assassination. Let me tell you which one's the best mode, and that's bomb defusal. So in bomb defusal, the terrorists must plant a bomb, the counter-terrorists must defuse the bomb, or kill the opposition before the bomb has been planted. In hostage rescue, counter-terrorists must rescue a hostage. In assassination, counter-terrorists the team the counter-terrorist team have a VIP, which is a very important person, and they must escort the VIP to a spot on the map while terrorists are attempting to assassinate or kill this VIP. After a player is killed, they become a spectator and they can actually watch the game go on without being able to actually do anything, which people would possibly cheat by doing a thing called ghosting, which is where the killed player speaks to his team via third-party voice channel, such as TeamSpeak or Ventrilo or Roger Wilco would be the, the voice over IP programs at the time. Counter-Strike began its life as a mod and continued to be modded, being developed by the community, which 
consisted of people who were script writers and mod creators, or people who wanted to be script writers and mod creators. I mean, you just need a rudimentary knowledge in order to try something, and if you try hard enough at something, something will come out of it. Not all the mods were great, but some of them were pretty, pretty good. Modifications to the game included adding uh, computer-controlled bots so you could actually play a game by yourself if you wanted to. There was also mods that allowed features that were in the base game to be pulled out, which all led ways to creating new ways to play the game. One game in particular that I played a lot of, which um, made it so that you had a bunch of bots and they could only use the crowbar. Some common types of mods that were seen in Counter-Strike were things like an admin plugin, where a server admin will have the uh, ability to control the server a bit more to their liking. Uh, there were also mods that affected gameplay, including the gun game. Uh, the gun game is this fun version of Counter-Strike where you start off with a basic pistol and you unlock new guns as you kill people. So you like shoot someone and then you get a new gun. There's also zombie mode, uh, which was very popular. In zombie mode, there's a team that is called the zombies who are trying to spread their infection by killing the other team. There was also superhero mode, uh, which was kind of a mix of the style of gameplay you'd expect from Counter-Strike with also an experience system so that you could kind of level up your character and gain abilities or become stronger. And uh, really, the game and the community prided itself in this heavy customization. It allowed players to add their own skins to their characters, create an entirely new heads-up display if they wanted it, um, have their own spray graphics, edit the sprites in game change the sound effects if they knew how so maybe a layman like myself would have some issue creating some mods that would work in counter-strike but someone who had experience with it or was willing to sit down and learn how to mod they could easily get into it without much hassle so the numbers how did it do counter-strike did very well a year after its release in 2001 it surpassed 250,000 units by december of 2003 it sold 1.5 5 million units globally. In the US alone, the retail version sold 550,000 copies and earned $15.7 million by August of 2006. The Xbox port sold 1.5 million copies in total. This game has been highly rated over the years, with magazines at the time giving it scores in the high 80% and Game Revolution ranking it as an A and IGN giving it an an 8.9 out of 10. In fact, many people credit Min Lee for the success and the continuation of Half-Life itself. So like if Half-Life didn't get like a reinvigoration of these different communities, Half-Life may have been a game that came and gone instead of leaving the impact that it did and may have also led to Valve's own success since Valve didn't always have Steam and Steam came in part due to a lot of DMR protections that they wanted to put on their games, including Counter-Strike and instituting that kind of DMR protection allowed them to build out Steam, which eventually became a digital distribution platform. When I was a kid, I really didn't like Steam because it was like a DMR type of thing, and I always felt like it was restricting my ability to play, and I had to boot the software up before I could play my game instead of just playing my game. Like, I couldn't start Counter-Strike 1.6 without starting Steam, and that was annoying. Now, Steam's like the first thing I turn on. It has my game library. I can't really play any games. Well, I can play some games, but I can't really play games without 
about Steam being on. And so it's so weird. And I feel like Counter-Strike helps Steam be able to become or, or help Valve become what they are today. However, in Brazil, it was banned. Counter-Strike, not Steam. In Brazil, uh, after a federal judge ordered the game to be banned due to intimate stimulus to the subversion of the social order. However, in 2009, the game was free. In 2009, you could buy Counter-Strike. The game is available in Brazil again. So it was banned briefly. It's always exciting when things get banned. I love when things get banned. Anyway, the legacy. Uh, Counter-Strike was successful, as Seth mentioned, with those numbers and those sales. And success means sequels. Uh, in 2004, we got our first sequel to Counter-Strike. Turtle Rock Studios released Counter-Strike Condition Zero, which featured a single-player mode. So not only could you play a multiplayer game of Condition Zero, but there was also a campaign that you could play through. This game is not very well received. It actually has mixed reviews in the like 50s and 60s range of scoring pretty much because it came out in 2004 and was still using the gold source engine and in 2004 we actually got another counter-strike game counter-strike source they came out in the same year apparently a gold source game called counter-strike condition zero and a source game called Counter-Strike Source. So yes, in 2004, Counter-Strike Source came out, which was a remake of Counter-Strike and was much more popular than Condition Zero. <laughs> Counter-Strike Source is a remake using the Source engine, which is not to be confused with the Gold Source engine. The Source engine is an engine that was built by Valve for their game Half-Life 2 and other games that they were going to make with it. And it has um, much nicer physics um, and other fun things like being able to do ragdoll physics with your uh, player model. The remake featured uh, modifications to account for this new engine. One of those things was having damage be relative to position from where someone is firing. So if you're firing from across the map, your bullet, which hits you, might do slightly less damage than if you shoot someone point blank to the head. Counter-Strike also saw another game come out in the Source engine, um, though this one came out in 2012, and this was Counter-Strike Global Offensive. It was developed by Hidden Path Entertainment and kind of released as a sequel of sorts to Counter-Strike Source. Global Offensive has actually become kind of the, I, I think kind of the gold standard for what Counter-Strike is. Usually when people are talking about playing Counter-Strike nowadays, a lot of times they're talking about Global Offensive. It features not only an updated Source engine, still running on Source, but the Source engine has since been updated in those years, um, but it also features nine game modes. Competitive, casual, deathmatch, arms race, demolition, wingman, flying scoutsman, retakes, and danger zone. And uh, yeah, it's receiving pretty much positive reviews when it came out, and uh, the reviews always say that the game kept faithfulness to Counter-Strike Source, because um, it, it kind of feels like a proper sequel to Counter-Strike Source. So just to kind of wrap of the episode where are they now min lee so he started working on counter-strike 2 and they ended up scrapping that idea and he left he was like all right well i'll do my own thing so he left he started like working on his own project uh he eventually um jumped around to a bunch of different studios though he did work on a game called tactical intervention which is similar to counter-strike but was poorly received and uh jess cliff continued to work for valve up until 20 2018 where he was suspended for getting arrested that is a reason to get suspended <laughs> there's some controversy with him starting in 2018 and we will not get into that because this podcast well is is done the counter-strike portion is done anyway that will do it for this episode uh that is our counter-strike episode and we're now going to get into our buy wait pass segment seth 
What are you excited about by waiting or passing on? Zach, you know how much I love deals. And a couple of days before this episode came out, September 24th, 2021, a game came out called Dagon by HP Lovecraft. It was developed not by HP Lovecraft. No, he is not alive. Um, <laughs> he's not developing video games anymore <laughs> or, or ever. It's developed and being published by BitGolem. And it is a demonic narrative that is inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, where you can play it in flat screen or VR mode, and it is free to play. So you can go on to Steam and play Dagon by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, it looks like a sort of a adventure, atmospheric, visual novel type style of game. But uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm going to check it out and I will buy it, which really in this case is just downloading it. Um, and, I, and I'll I'll give it a go. I probably will not play it in VR. Not because my VR system is a pain in the butt to set up and takes up a lot of space in my room that is also my office, but because... I am a child when it comes to horror and this game would probably make me scared and I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. The game that I'm excited about by waiting or passing on Seth is Spectacular Sparky. Spectacular Sparky is being developed by Freak Zone Games and it's due out on October 20th, 2021. Uh, it's a throwback to the golden age of white-gloved 16-bit video game mascots, an age that I love. Um, in Spectacular Sparky, you play as the titular Sparky, who is a... Uh, I forget what he is. Kind of looks like a rabbit and also Rayman because he doesn't have like arms. He just has floating appendages as, as mm. Rayman does, but he also carries a gun. The game looks like a cross between classic 16-bit platformers such as... I mean, such as the original Rayman, which was um, on the PlayStation, or maybe um, Jazz Jackrabbit, which was kind of a knockoff of Sonic, but it was a knockoff of Sonic that featured a, a Jackrabbit who had a gun and could shoot things. That was developed by Epic Games. I don't know if they're trying to go for like a Jazz Jackrabbit style, but you know, I'm going to keep my eye on it. It's spectacular Sparky. I'm going to put it down as a wait, but uh, yeah, we'll see what we will see what it's like when it comes out uh, i'm definitely going to keep my eye on it though uh, that's gonna be that's it that's gonna be our counter-strike episode we we actually had a um a fan uh send this in so we had at zek driver app on podbeam requested a counter-strike episode and we did have someone email us a request so i we didn't get permission to use the person who emails us name so they know who they are we appreciate the feedback and the desire for an episode and content so we here it is we've created it if you want to have an episode idea brought up to us to talk about with some modicum of skill i i would say poorly is probably the, the the level of skill that we we exhibit. Uh, I can tell you how you could do that. So I'm gonna get to the part of the show where we 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 go in the ways that you can contact us, support us, and listen to us. So in order to contact us, you can send us an email, like the person who requested this episode, and that email is classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can also use Seth at classicgamingbrothers.com, Zach at classicgamingbrothers.com, or even if you're having fun, classic gaming brothers at classic gaming brothers.com however classic gaming brothers at gmail is probably the most direct uh there is also though a contact form that you can go to our website and you can fill that 
that out. And if you do not wish to email us, even though the contact form will be an email, it's not an email from your inbox. It's from our website. And that website is classicgamingbrothers.com. We try to be consistent here. So on that website, you can contact us recommending an episode like this very episode. You can listen to us using the lounge and you can read some stories about us and buy some t-shirts. It's a pretty cool website. It's been recently-ish updated. Uh, There are some more updates that need to be done. But anyway, to go back to supporting us, so you could buy some t-shirts, which is fine. Um, Though really, how to support us, there's a couple ways to do that. First, give us a review. You know, if you listen to us on iTunes or Podbeam or where have you, there should be a way to rate us or review us. A review and rates always help our, um, the algorithm so that more people can find us, which is, which is great. We love being found by more people. Uh, the objective is to get into all of the ears of those who are interested in classic gaming and brothers. Three distinct, two distinct different things. (laughs) I I guess, I, I guess you could be into classic, but... (laughs) What? That's a kind of a broad term. Yeah, maybe the, someone's just, you know, really into classic. You could be interested in classic gaming. You could be interested in brothers. You could be interested in classic gaming brothers. Uh, I just really like brothers. <laughs> I just I just want to listen to that brother podcast about brothers. Isn't there two brothers and I or some b- podcast that's There's my really brother famous. and my brother and me. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's They're an advice show for one. the modern era. Anyway, so you could give us a, a, a support us by giving us those ratings. You also could support us just by telling a friend to listen to the podcast. We always recommend three friends is the best amount of friends to tell, mostly because the logic, and I haven't talked about the logic behind this, is the logic that I was given to uh, as a younger man was that if you really like a service you'll probably tell like three people like that's kind of like the thing that you'll tell you go around if you really like something you'll probably tell like three or four people if you hate something you will tell much much more tell three people then we know you like it that's kind of like how we 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 cut it off at the pass we don't want you to tell too many people because then you might hate us finally how to listen to us as of right now you can listen to us on facebook that's kind of cool or through Podbeam, or through things like Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, what have you. So that's it's cool. You wherever wherever there are podcasts to be listened to, we will try to be there to be listened to. If we're not, let us know. But you know, I'm sure you listening to this show right now are of right mind to be able to find our episodes on a service you want to find. If not, we can help you out. Send us an email. And with that, Zach, I talked about contacting us, supporting us, listening to us. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we have been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's That's right. right. Counter-terrorists win.